Welcome to my Big Safety Challenge, a podcast all about stories of safety leadership, presented by Dale Carnegie and the Board of Certified Safety Professionals. Hey, Tiffany, you know, in doing these podcasts, it's always interesting because we get into all these things about people. Yes. Uh, several years ago, I had a, a CEO of the company who used to work at GE and had worked under Jack Welsh and and tells the story about how they were together at some big conference and Welsh was running it and everything. And some HR guy was kind of whiny, like, yeah, it's all hard and this is difficult and everything like that. And Welsh just ate him up and said, sir, it's messy. That's what I hired you to do. Messy stuff. What do you think? Safety stuff? Messy? (laughs) Safety is very, very, very messy. And it's sometimes those situations where you got to put your head down close to the sand and then pop your head up and then put it down. And you have to know when to bob and weave, (laughs) when to bob and weave. It's like a little boxing match. But but that's that's what makes it challenging. It does. But that's what makes it so fascinating fascinating rewarding frustrating there's so many more 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 pluses than there are minuses in the world of safety and i think all of all of our our guests here who touch safety would allude to that as well remember years ago when wide world of sports was on oh of course and and they'd start off and they'd have that thing the thrill of victory, right, right. the agony of defeat. Oh, it was awesome. And that's the way it is Absolutely. as we're working with people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what so, we got in store today? So let's, it, it's a good time to introduce our next guest, Eli Friedman. And he works on the tech side as a global safety manager within tech. And Eli and I have had the privilege of working together and being, oh gosh, in, in our head close to the sand and then bobbing it up. So I want to introduce uh, Eli to, to, the, to, the, to the podcast mm-hmm. here. Hey, Eli. Hey, Tiffany. Hey, Merle. Um, Tiffany, really kind intro. Yes, yes. Is it true you hired this guy one time? I did. Wow. I did. He was like one of my favorite hires. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, she uh, tells that to everybody, Eli, no, so don't get no, too mad. No, no, see, Eli knows <laughs> me better than yeah. that. He knows me better than that. Because I hired Eli when Eli was probably, what, about five years into the field of EHS? Yeah. You were, that sounds about right. You were, yeah. you were a neophyte. So here you are, and we're talking about about seven years later from when I hired him. So tell us what you're up to now, Eli. Well, I mean, like you said, I've, I've transitioned into the the tech space, the high tech space, which is mm. never a place I thought I would find myself. I mean, I never thought I would be in safety, you know? I, you know, I think we all have less than linear paths that we walk and I don't think many of us expect to wander into safety, but you know, through circumstance, exposure along the way, we we find us or safety finds us, however cliche it may be. Um, but yeah, you know, now I'm working in the high high tech space, and it's so much different, Tiffany, from our time yes. um, when we first met, right? Right. Um, total, totally different application of safety, but you know, fundamentally, very much the same, right? Right. I mean, you know, safety is is rooted in people 
and so I think uh, there's very much a, a linear line to, to, to walk once you're in it. So with that, you've been in your role for how long now? Yeah, I'll, I'll be coming up on five years okay. here in December. And obviously, you know, are the COVID times certainly, you know, blurred some of those those years. You know, I think we all had objectives and maturity models we were we were following, and and those were totally obscured by mm-hmm. the the COVID pandemic. And you know, our, our organizations or everyone's organization's ability to address um, those gaping concerns. And you know, believe it or not, you know, those concerns were tied to the people. So. One way or another, it's 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 always tied back to the people. It's been a a long and short five years. Um, during that time, I you know started in office as a lot of people did, and now I'm now I'm working remote, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's been a huge change mm-hmm. um, for me, and it's meant that I've had to you know adjust my application of the look and feel of safety, adjust for you know a huge amount of remote uh, work employees who still have you know needs and. You know, the the employer is still ultimately responsible for those for those needs. Absolutely, that's fascinating. And and I know you started with that. You know, you didn't anticipate being in safety. And Merle's going to get into your your origin story because you did start in environmental. Mm. And and a lot of us who start in environmental, which is me myself as well, then get coupled to to safety. So. Merle, I'll kind of give it to you to talk about Eli's origin. Thank you. So, Eli, if you got in, in interested in environmental, how did that kind of get started? And then tell us a little bit about that transition into more of the safety role. Yeah, no, of course. And, and definitely want to acknowledge that, Tiffany, like you said, environmental and health and safety are absolutely coupled. And we're drawn into the, the H&S piece because of environmental interests or pursuits. Merle, to answer your question, I, you know, I actually graduated with a degree in geology. Um, I worked wow. as a mineral exploration geologist for for about five years, mostly mostly you know reconnaissance level um, mapping and sampling, you know, out in the field. Okay, so um, wait a minute. Was safety, I, yeah, the career safety, was it ever on your mind as you're studying rocks and geology? Oh man, you know, I definitely hit myself with a hammer once or twice. Trying to <laughs> Where's that safety guy when I need him, man? Okay, all right, just curious. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, you know, I think in that career, you know, again, I was out in the field. I transitioned mm-hmm. to some large drill projects. Yeah. Certainly saw people, you know, working around heavy pieces of equipment. Generally, in awe of what they were doing. I ended up working on a on a larger project up in northern Canada. Um, in that project, we were putting together rather a, uh, a mined feasibility program, sort of looking at the potential economics behind developing the mine, and and then looking at the uh, environmental impacts. So, mm. you know, my the project geologist at the time said, "Hey, Eli, take a look at these regulations. How might they impact what we're doing or what we're trying to do?" That was the first time I, I got to sort of look through legalese and you know digest it and and sort of read through the gray areas. From there, I decided to go to law school. I went uh, and I studied environmental law and, and policy. You know, I think at, at that point in time, I said, hey, you know, I, I have a real grasp on, you know, natural resources, um, really interesting sector. But administratively, I don't really understand what's going on. I don't understand what the, you know, the regulatory drivers are around the industry. And so that's why I decided to go to law school. 
Um, and from there, I was actually I was hired by a, an offshore drilling company to um, run and develop their environmental management program. And and actually there, I would say the coupling first occurred yes. you know, between the environmental and the health and safety piece. Um, you know, I was exposed to my first permit to work system. Wild, right? Um, because and and here, you know, we were around both very real and acute, tangible workplace hazards, mm. right? Associated even with the most common and routine tasks. And I think in that space, I was like, wow, these people do this every day. And and also, I think at that point, I was like, but administratively, is this paperwork the reason that people are staying safe, or is it because these people know what they're doing. And, you know, I, I don't think I've really, really found my answer. I don't think I really, you know, stuck my head in the hole deep enough to, to, to really look into it. And yeah. And again, I think that's where I also first saw the coupling between environmental and, and the health and safety. And from there, that's where I met Tiffany. That's wow. where right. um, Tiffany hired me to be her environmental compliance director. You know, still I was somewhat uncoupled from the health and safety, but you know, very, um, you know, intimately involved in it um, just because of that um, intuitive coupling. And what kind of industry did Tiffany hire you into? <laughs> ah, it was great. It was apparel manufacturing. Whoa, whoa. Um, so apparel. we've gone from offshore rigs, mm -hmm. mines, yeah. offshore rigs, law school in between, to apparels, which yeah, is yeah. fascinating, mm -hmm. the journey of safety professionals mm -hmm. or a safety professional like you and it's not too uncommon what characteristics i'm just curious were common denominators between those those particular three areas not even let alone tech no fair enough that's a really good question um i think you know the the application of compliance driven requirements you know i think that was an mm -hmm. obvious denominator um, but but more so, I'll keep dwelling on this is is the the people behind yes. the operation. I think that ends up being the the common denominator. No matter what you're doing, where you're doing it, it's always people doing the work. How do you see even when you think about those people, you've got what I would call the workers, and then you've got management teams. and you've got some people situations to deal with there. How'd you see any of those, especially the management team, working with that or the people? Uh, what are the kind of dynamics did you face with that? No, absolutely. I think that's, you know, there is definitely a disconnect between the people doing the work and the people facilitating the work, you know, on the, the administrative side. You know, there are many administrative controls uh, and expectations from upper management. Um, and I think oftentimes the disconnect between the people doing the work and the administrative controls, you know, meant that there was turmoil. People may not follow the paperwork because it's a pain, you know, and I think, you know, without the real connection from the leadership side, you know, and, and rather because of that disconnect, it, it, you know, it means that there is turmoil and terms like psychological safety come up because of the turmoil you know i think a lot of safety conferences now focus on things like that and i think it's you know hyper relevant um but i don't necessarily think it addresses the existing turmoil and the disconnect you know because ultimately it exists i think we ought to get into that more a little bit in a little bit mm -hmm. i'd love to now hear this connection as you got into the apparel organization mm -hmm. and since 
Tiffany ran helped guide that yeah. hired you even mm-hmm. so um, maybe you can get into that yeah so, so as I'm listening um, to you guys you know kind of converse about this and Merle you ask you know what were some of the you know predominant consistencies mm-hmm. amongst all of these industries that Eli worked in one of the decision-making factors that I took in to consideration when hiring Eli. For me, it wasn't so much about the the skill set specifically related to environmental and or health and safety. The diversity that he was able to exist in these subcultures one is mining is an entire culture in itself mm. that is different than any other culture. When offshore drilling, I mean, you're all living together like in a resort, not the resort of my choosing, <laughs> but, but resort style living. Yes. That is an entirely different culture. And then you're coming into apparel manufacturing. And as we talk apparel manufacturing, Let's just be very clear, because we can now speak on it, American Apparel. And anyone who knows the story about American Apparel, we are coming in after there was some, some organizational changes that are being made. And there was a culture that existed within American Apparel. So part of my decision making was Eli's ability to exist in these cultures. And he had to adapt from one to another to another. Immediately. It wasn't like, oh, you get to acclimate. Mining, you're like thrown into it. You're living on a resort in the offshore drilling. You have to adapt immediately. And time was not our friend when we were looking at the changes that we needed to implement within American Apparel. So that was really a critical non-tangible characteristic, core value for Eli that I thought would really be impactful as far as being transformational in the changes that we wanted to make. Now, I would say there are folks listening to this podcast who are thrown into situations. Mm -hmm. It's cultures they're not used to. Yes. And there are people who say, wait, wait, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. But Eli, maybe you can do, get into this. What, what kind of advice you, could you give to people who get into a culture? Mm-hmm. This is your – you've lived this, this sir. Sweet spot. You've lived this. Right. <laughs> Emotional, physical, sure. You know, I think that you know, if I look at my medium-length career, um, I think, I think th- what has helped me through and through – um is i think my ability to play well i think i play really well with people tell us what what do you mean play i think i get along well i think i have a level of empathy for people but but i think my my empathy is is potentially the through line and, and the connector that i've used to you know really form baseline relationships with people mm. you know cross cultural cross cross language age, socioeconomic. I, honestly, I, I feel like I've been exposed to all of it. Um, I greatly appreciate all of those exposures. Uh, but again, like, I really think my empathy, diplomacy, hmm. um, and 
I think I think I'll also say that I have, I have an ability to identify where people hold their integrity. Mm. Uh, I think sometimes people hold their integrity. You know, if we're talking about the workplace, it's 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 in their job. I think people generally know what they're doing and they generally do it well and and have the best intentions behind their work. And I think if you're able to to see it, acknowledge it. I think that goes a long way um, as as a baseline of of relationship building and, and connection. And there are a couple of Dale Carnegie principles that you were putting into practice there. Now, the word empathy, it wasn't around when Carnegie wrote that book. But he, he described it as be sympathetic with the other person's ideas and desires. Take the time to say they these people got ideas and they got desires, interests they want to do, and you seem to have connected with them in that way. And, and then there's another principle. Uh, it's the only real negative one of the whole all 30 principles. Do not criticize, condemn, or complain. And Eli, it looks like you took the person for who they were. They had differences, but you didn't have that spirit of divisiveness and driving them away. It seems like you really were able to work with that, and that that helped you along the way. No, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you know, Tiffany, you, our our quarters at American Apparel. I remember we we did a survey once, and and there were like seventeen languages spoken just in one building. Mm-hmm. You know, massive work shift, nine hundred people on a on a single floor, right, sewing floor. It's a lot of people. You don't know how someone woke up that morning. You don't know what, you know, how they got to work, how they were feeling coming to work, what happened the night before. Um, so again, like, I think that we all were forced to learn working there um, a level of empathy um, for, you know, for one another. When you did that and when you tried to show that spirit to people, Eli, because leaders have to take initiative. Safety leaders have to take initiative. How did you sense people responded when maybe they couldn't understand what you said and you couldn't understand what they said, but they sense your spirit? They really do. How do they respond to that? Really good question. I, I think um, I think again, you know, by establishing a baseline trust, um, you know, with within a relationship. It did mean that that I could have the more tough conversations, right? You know, we were still doing stuff in American Apparel, like we were doing machine guarding, guarding sessions. You know, we had an electrical safety program, lockout, tagout, right? We had like real acute hazards, confined spaces, right? Picture massive, massive dive vats that people are are working in and out of, right? We had to have concrete programs or controls, um, and I think that we did a really good job. Um, uh, you know, of identifying the people who were subject matter experts in their roles um, and and utilizing them to help develop programs that made sense, you know, for them uh, and, and for us administratively. So I think, you know, I think one thing that Tiffany did really well was she, you know, she spoke, you know, she spoke the executive language really well and translated it to the floor really well. And I think she sort of you know, led us down, down that path. Um, you know, I think the programs that we built there were uh, were useful and impactful. Again, it was a short time because of all the other sort of macro um, economic issues the company was facing. But I think we, you know, I think all of our intentions were were positive, and I think that people, you know, working with us 
um, you know, on the floor, so to speak, felt that. Um, and also, I think that we did, did a good job of leveraging what existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what existed were the relationships, right? Um, there were this, these, like, incredibly strong cohorts um, within the, the working structure, you know, within the organization on the floor again, so to speak, um, that we, you know, I think we leaned into and leveraged. Yes. Um, so as I'm sitting here, <laughs> I'm thinking about there was so much going on. Those flashbacks? Oh, my God. All at one time. I mean, <laughs> I have never been in a dynamic like that. So much going on at one time. I mean, we had environmental stuff going on at one time, um, like serious environmental issues. We had serious safety issues. I mean, serious, serious injuries, a fatality that had occurred prior to us getting there. A horrible, tragic fatality that you do not want to see something like that. So we were coming in where there was so much going on. Things were in constant movement as far as leadership. I mean, the dynamic was never consistent. Every day you came into work, it was something different. Hmm. So Eli, with (laughs) on top of all of the EHS challenges that were going on, both environmental and in 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 safety and of course now you're in a tech environment where things are are pretty much can stay stable in tech i think is of of tech is like an area of stability what what was the consummate that kind of kept you balanced knowing that you have every day it could be something different it was a different and it wasn't just oh we need to work on doing this it was literally a fire that needed to be put out what kept you balanced? Like, how is it, how are you able to stay balanced in an environment literally of constant change? I'd like to think that, you know, we had the ability, you know, not necessarily to take ourselves too serious, certainly to take the situations and the things we were dealing with very serious and responsive. But I think, you know, by not taking myself too serious, it meant that you know, it meant that I could sort of navigate the, you know, the 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 real fires that were occurring and and like you know the the chaos that was um, happening all around us. You know, it's definitely a, a challenging place to to be. One of the stress and worry principles that Carnegie had was he said, if you want to reduce your stress, create happiness for others. And that sounds like what you were doing. You weren't having parties for people, but you were taking the focus off anything you were uncomfortable with and said, I'm doing this for the well-being of the people. And there's something about that, Eli, that that can relieve when us when it's not all about us. And that's what it sounds like you were just talking about there. Yeah, so if we're talking along the lines of challenges, Eli, and, and knowing that um, – you know the dynamics in the in the constant change. You know there was this constant change, and you mentioned in in earlier about the um, you know coming into an environment into a culture where there's just complete diversity, seventeen different languages, socioeconomically. Um, you know there was a gender. 
There was a lot of diversity age. But during our initial kind of touch base conversation, you had mentioned that there was kind of alluded to this this challenge in connecting with some of the workers and um, that there were I mean, there I think there were these cultural barriers for for all of us. Um, let me give you an example of one cultural barrier that you guys may not be able to relate to. In the bathrooms, there was signage not to squat, meaning put your feet on the toilet, because culturally, that is how some cultures use the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So there was a sign that had an X through it. Yeah. They didn't want you to put your feet on the seat and use the bathroom. And so I bring that up as an example of just cultural differences that you would never even think of. Wow. Um, but but there were there were really great learning opportunities to take away from those. So Eli, you had mentioned some kind of painful experience on when you were called out on a kind of cultural language barrier. Can you I think it would be insightful to kind of share that with the listeners. It was painful to me because it was rooted in something that I really care about, which is connection to people. And I've always tried to consider my, myself a very supportive and <laughs> aware person of, you know, of diversity, you know, wanting to be as inclusive as possible. And so, you know, I did have an early experience at American Apparel where I was called out on it. I was called out on a, you know, on a, um, I was calling out on on a blind side, right? I was blind to a specific cultural nuance and I had no idea. I upset someone and I had to, you know, work really hard to rebuild the trust with that person. So were you called out by the person or a group or by a supervisor or again, I don't need specifics, but who who called you out? Tiffany, I think you called me into the office and you oh told me that someone you told me the situation, someone was a upset about something that I that I specifically did. I think that I was slack jawed when you told me this because okay. again it was like it hit me so hard. And how'd you handle that? I really tried to rebuild the bridge with that person, sort of you know, I tried to be as um as vulnerable with them as I could because I wanted to show them the sincerity behind, you know, the sincerity I felt behind the mistake. And I think I did ultimately rebuild that bridge, but I also had to be careful that while rebuilding the bridge, I wanted to make sure it wasn't about me. It was it was about that person mm -hmm. because I think you know when you're rebuilding a bridge because of a mistake that you make, again, it, it can't be about you because that becomes insincere and it becomes less about the person that you've hurt or upset and more about yourself. And that's not that's not right. But in this instance, because I think that's that's important, an important piece, right? When you're in a leadership position and you're dealing with different cultures and different languages and different people, and then there's subcultures and all of that. Eli, what were some of your takeaways? Because I'm sure that was a difficult, you know, those that's difficult to hear. And and then as you're rebuilding this relationship, was it something that was easy to do or was it complex? And I'm sure you were a little bit apprehensive, maybe a little bit as far as engaging with the person. 
Can you give the listeners some more context? Because we've all dealt with that. And, and times we don't even mean to. Not but, even but mean to. that to. person. Exactly. Yeah. But then some people, you don't know that someone is receiving this a certain kind of way. And sometimes we're talking about microaggressions in the workplace and implicit bias that all correlate to the psychological safety of everyone. So what can you lend to people mm. that would give them kind of more specifics when we're dealing with the dynamics in the workplace and and as difficult as these situations are, we will all deal with them. We will all continue to deal with them. But what's some insight from from your experience on how to better deal with this, especially, and I'm sorry, I don't recall, if the person is distancing themselves or making it a little bit more difficult for you to bridge that gap Mm. and and fix things with them? If I could go back and, and redo it, I certainly did walk on eggshells for a while and it took a while for me to, to address it with the person it was someone who reported up through me and i think if i could do it over I, w- I would address it immediately as you misstep i think it's really important to to address the issue because if you don't it, you know the the gap and the you know the trust that you lose just can can widen one of the carney principles is if you're wrong admit it quickly and emphatically so you're saying right. if you cross a line with somebody deal with it right away no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That fully goes into the concept of fostering psychologically safe workplaces, right? Mm. You know, we all have our, our blind sides. Um, and this is obviously one for me and, you know, one that I was unaware that I had, you know, a boundary that I that I crossed with this person. And so, again, I, you know, wish I had addressed it sooner with that person because, again, you know, there was a gap that, that I needed to to rebuild with this person. What else did you do to try to rebuild that then over time? I, I kind of leaned into my, you know, some some of my sort of rooted principles, which are, you know, identify what people care about, where they find engagement and put them in positions to to succeed and, and acknowledge it, right? Validate that, you know, those even small successes. And I think that's really important to do as a leader, right? Identify what people are good at, yes. find op- opportunities for them to engage and to grow um, themselves. But, you know, I, I, I really wish I had done it sooner with this person. But ultimately, that's that's what I did to rebuild. You know, I put put them in more position to more positions to to succeed. Um, and, and I think that was the, the at least part of the rebuilding process. Well, one thing I just heard him say there, you you didn't just talk about you put care into action. Mm-hmm. And, and the person may have said, well, I didn't like what was said. But over time, they said, but this guy. What he's doing says he values who I am. Mm-hmm. And you know, talk is cheap sometimes, but actions speak loudly. So congratulations right. on that. Right. Good lesson for all of us. Yeah. And you know, the interesting part, and I, and I think the psychological safety is like really, really critical. Mm-hmm. And I think that psychological safety becomes apparent and really becomes more of a action as opposed to a noun. It becomes a verb more than a noun. Yes. And I think that's important for all of us because we all work in diverse environments. I mean, Eli and I were working in Los Angeles. That's a lot of different diversity. And like I said, you had different cultures, different languages. Some of our journeys are individual, but a lot of our journeys are collective journeys. And the more that we have clear understanding, I think is, and humanizing ourselves is 
is the closer we get to the destination of what we're trying to get to. And when you do that, Tiffany, and when Eli, what you were doing, it sounds like with people, mm-hmm. is there's this principle of Carnegie, try honestly mm-hmm. to see things from the other person's point of view. Mm-hmm. And if it's all about us, and that's why another principle is become genuinely interested in other people mm-hmm. and talk in terms mm-hmm. of the other person's interest. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, as we learn from the viewpoint of other people and their story, mm-hmm. we say, oh, this is why this person is the way they are. This is what has contributed to make them who they are. And Eli, again, what did you find that did for you then as you learned these people you worked with, understanding their point of view? First, I want to acknowledge that as I've as I've progressed through you know leadership roles, mm-hmm. I need to say it's it's become more and more difficult to have like real time to connect with individuals and to have those have those real conversations, ask those questions with sincerity. I've just I found it much more difficult, you know, as my teams have grown. In hindsight, Tiffany, I'm impressed that you had the, <laughs> that you had the bandwidth to do that. But you know, now I think I do have some, you know, some perspective to share. Again, I think, you know, with time and space, I do like to present sort of a a blank canvas to people, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, tell me about yourself, tell me what you care about. Maybe it's sports, maybe, maybe it's kids, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's hunting, whatever. Um, but, you know, tell me about you and, and tell me how, how I can best connect with you. I think that's something I learned early on working offshore, right? I told you earlier, you know, I'm Oregon green thumb trying to connect with sort of Northeast Mariners and, you know, people from the, the deep, deep South. <laughs> But I can really connect with everyone, right? Like I, I think I, I leverage that ability to like, to present a, a blank canvas and to you know figure out what people cared about and then talk about those things. You know, I, I think I think everyone is different. I think no one's gonna find mm. common terms everywhere you look. But there, there are always a few. If you lean into those, you can sort of work with and and play nice with everyone. In what you did was you accepted people for where they were. Mm-hmm. You didn't try to say, the world revolves around me. Mm-hmm. You accepted them for what they were. And when we do that, then they are more open to the ideas that we share with them. We don't do it just to get them to do things. We do it because we genuinely care. But you want people over to see your point of view by doing that. The challenge safety professionals has is we just say, we're going to jam you with this rule. We're going to jam you with this stuff. And no wonder people fight back. emotionally and don't do it because they are inclined to do it because they want to do it they're doing it because they're forced to do it which is not the approach that you want to be taking an interesting quote that's in the the book carney didn't say it but quote a man a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still and there's really truth to that, there especially is. in the realm of safety, because mm-hmm. you can't be with them every moment. So with that, Eli, you're a millennial. So how do you as a millennial um, approach a work environment or how would you as a millennial give advice now that you're in a leadership role, advice to me and Merle as safety professionals, 
that are of the Gen X and baby boomer generation on how to manage your generation Mm. and Gen Z, which is proliferated throughout tech. And so you talk about culture challenges. Correct. Yeah. So they say. What's your advice? (laughs) What's your advice for us? Wow. I I think that our, you know, our generation speaking for my millennial counterparts, right? Mm -hmm. I think that our millennial culture is one that that values work-life balance. I think that's obvious, right? I think the whole concept of work-life balance has really has really arisen, you know, over the past 10, 15 years. Maybe I'm, you know, unaware of previous conversations that that have, that have happened that have occurred, but you know, within my, you know, the majority of my career life, I feel like more and more the concept of work-life balance is is being thrown around and I, th- I think institutionally it's becoming more acceptable and expected um at the same time i think millennial children really care about their work and want to find value and validation through their work if i apply that to safety specifically i think we're at a phase right now where we're looking at the so-called 1.0 model which is really compliance driven right it's really administrative and it lacks some human perspective Mm -hmm. and i think that 2.0 model is very is much more encouraging of psychological concepts and behavior as a larger component of safety you know safety culture is more and more tied to to governance and driven by you know by governance Whereas in the past, safety culture is much more driven by administrative means. Mm. So again, I think the, the millennial pursuit from a safety perspective is looking more and more at the people doing the work and, and potentially shifting away from the administrative model of mitigating unsafe work practices through pa- paperwork versus identifying what works well. Look at why what people are doing and why that means they're safe physically and psychologically at work versus looking at the negatives. So I think what we're hearing is we have to remember, for Tiffany and Mayans group, we have to remember it's the people. Mm -hmm. It's the people. It's not just regulations. It's the people. Mm -hmm. And they need to know that. That's huge. I'll tell you, Eli, I've been really enriched by what we've heard here. If you had one piece of advice to give to up-and-coming safety professionals? Perhaps even maybe something you wish you had known when you started out as you look back. If only somebody had told me this, what, what would be that piece of advice? I think get exposed to as much as you can, as early as you can. Cut your teeth on the fundamental programs, right? The real-life safety programs, um, because they are meaningful, right? They're, they're definitely meaningful. I think more and more we're seeing industries where there are more or rather there are less tangible and acute workplace hazards, right? And I think in those spaces, sort of in the corporate environments, right, mm-hmm. um, we need to recalibrate to our, you know, recalibrate our sensitivities and even account for people's sensitivities, right? Right. So I, I think there there's that, but more so, you know, cut your teeth on on the the, the life safety programs and see what sticks, see what resonates with you, right? Mm. You know, maybe you start 
with machine guarding. Maybe you go to electrical safety and you're like, wow, this is interesting. I want to learn about arc flash. And from arc flash, you, you know, you, you start looking at radiation safety, right? There's, there's so many tangible applications, but I think, you know, for me, some of the more interesting pursuits are the, are the less tangible Mm -hmm. workplace hazards, right? Where, where I think we've all had to recalibrate our, our own sensitivities towards. I would agree with you. That's my sweet spot too, Eli. I like the elements of safety that are not necessarily regulatory driven, mm-hmm. but that are have a certain presence in workplace today, like the psychological safety, like the mental health. Um, those are really, really important and those actually drive value because it speaks to the contingent of employees about what value the organization sees them at um, when you're willing to do those programs that are not regulatory driven. So I, yeah, look at the peripheral of what safety truly is outside of, oh, there is an OSHA requirement for this. I completely agree with you. So Eli, thank you very much for your commitment to do this. I've seen agility, I've seen mobility, I've seen somebody work through turmoil and uh, continue to, to refine who he is to be a benefit in his sphere of influence. One of Eli's interesting statements was he felt like he was able to play well with the people. Yes. And it just this idea that he could connect because they sense this guy values them. And when you look at all the principles, 30 of them, at least half of them include the phrase, the other person. It's always the focus on the other person. And that's so important. And, and, and all of the other more tangible elements can be taught, but Eli is going to be an individual that has extraordinary success because he keeps the people at the foundation of everything that he does. That's why he could go from mining to offering and into apparel and now into tech. Right. He could do all that. Right. 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 And so if we as leaders, as we're looking at the next generation and creating kind of that pipeline, don't be afraid to look at those intangible skill sets and really be introspective about where they have worked and what kind of job that they did as opposed to were they able to develop and implement a respiratory protection and electrical safety, those kinds of programs. But look underneath that. What kind of cultures were they mm. navigating uh, within? Because you can write in and try to implement every program that you want to, but unless you have this strong ability to connect with the people, those programs are just going to sit on the shelf tomorrow. Sure. Yeah. Great session. Yes. Great session. Thanks for listening to My Big Safety Challenge, a podcast produced in partnership by Dale Carnegie and BCSP with your hosts, Dale Carnegie Master Trainer Merle Heckman and Tiffany Felix, Senior Vice President of Global Environmental Health and Safety for Paramount Global. Executive produced by Charlie Eltringham. Supervising producer, Michael Escobedo. Audio engineering and editing from Michael Escobedo and Giachi Liu. Editorial support from Tyson Matthews. Consulting producers are Colin Brown and Mark Sullivan. 
To have new episodes delivered directly to you, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. If you would like to share your story of a safety leadership challenge you faced, email us at info at mybigsafetychallenge.com. See you next time. Hey, listeners, this is Merle Heckman, host of My Big Safety Challenge podcast. I imagine that if you're listening to this podcast, then you have some sort of safety responsibility in your job. Maybe you're a seasoned safety pro leading EH&S programs. Or maybe you're in HR and safety is one of the many responsibilities you have. No matter what your situation is, you are looking for ways to be a better leader. Well, I'd like to tell you an opportunity that's available from Dale Carnegie and BCSP. We've put together a leadership course just for safety professionals. We've taken the Dale Carnegie course and all its principles and weaved in the whole safety world to help you as a safety professional to have more influence. In the course, you will learn how to properly connect with other people and then build upon that with the ability to have collaboration, creating an atmosphere where people feel like it's safe emotionally to work together, and then allow you to learn how to lead and guide people who make mistakes, who want to do well, gives you the chance to know how to guide them with so much more. If you're interested, please click the link in the episode description or visit mybigsafetychallenge.com and look for the BCSP and the Dale Carnegie course link at the bottom of the page. We'd love to see you be a part to benefit your organization.